This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Hi, everybody. We are living in a world that presents many opportunities to be discouraged with regards to the coronavirus, businesses being closed, people losing their jobs, not only the financial challenge and the health challenge, but the fear factor. What does the future hold? So all these many opportunities cause discouragement. Inevitably, all of us will have to deal with discouragement at one time or another in our lives. And most probably now. And how we deal with discouragement will determine whether we will succeed or fail going forward. So, the title of my message is How to Deal with Discouragement. Discouragement can come from various sources. From not meeting expected goals. Somebody promising you something, maybe to help you in some way or another, and they don't keep their promise. That can be very discouraging. Family problems being fired from your job, or perhaps your company closed down because of COVID-19, and maybe the fear of being sick. If an army becomes discouraged, it is pointless sending that army into battle. They will be defeated. A discouraged army will be defeated. Discouragement can also severely affect the body of Christ from fulfilling the Great Commission. How can folks win the lost if they are discouraged? If the police become discouraged, they will not be able to protect the public. Let's look at a Bible example of someone who is discouraged and what happens. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah calls down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. He's on Mount Carmel and he has King Ahab there with all the prophets of Baal. And uh, fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice and we know that the prophets of Baal were not able to do that. And Elijah ordered the seizure and the execution of 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And this all happened that day on Mount Carmel. What a great victory for Elijah and for God. Elijah then prays for rain. Now bear in mind that it had not rained for three and a half years. And rain came. The drought was broken. After all these great faith accomplishments, Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, 
threatens to kill the prophet of God. Let's read what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19 from verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets of Baal with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more so, if I do not make your life as the life of one of those prophets that you killed by tomorrow about this time. So she said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow this time, and if I don't, let the gods kill me. <laughs> okay, so what happened? Verse 3. And when he saw that, Elijah rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Isn't that interesting? He fled for his life, all those miles, I'll show you that in a moment, and then he asked God to kill him. <laughs> that just shows you how messed up he was, right, at this time. This mighty prophet of God is going through a problem, wasn't he? Verse 5, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him, and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose, and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And then he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek my life, and they seek my life. They seek to kill me. Now, God did not punish Elijah for running away. God did not criticize him. God ministered to him through the angel. And the Bible tells us in Galatians 6 verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So here in the New Testament, God tells us how to restore folks who are in trouble, 
like Elijah. Made mistakes. Great prophet of God, now fleeing for his life. I mean, he's hurt nobody, not offended anybody, but he's in trouble because he's full of fear of Jezebel. So he can't operate like he should. Okay, notice this in Galatians 6.1. God says, you are spiritual, restore those who have fallen. And if you're wondering why we don't have many people restoring people, it's because there's not many spiritual people, right? The baby Christians criticize those who make mistakes. And they destroy them. But the spiritual people can pick them up, help them, heal them, dust them off, put them back on their feet. That's what God wants. The instruction from God is restore those who have fallen, not squash them and destroy them. All right. Now, so the first lesson we learn when we are discouraged is, number one, don't make destiny-defining decisions. Clearly, Elijah is not thinking straight. So don't make decisions about your future. Invariably, those who make decisions while they are discouraged end up neutralizing themselves. What does that mean? That means that they end up making wrong choices. They mess up their destiny. Those who are discouraged listen to all the excuses of the devil, all the, reason, all the reasons the devil gives them, and the lies the devil gives them, just so that he can keep them discouraged. The devil will tell you, yes, that's fine. You exactly you have the right to feel that way. Elijah, you have the right to feel sorry for yourself. You have the right to run and hide. Stay under this tree down here in the desert this little tiny tree in the desert. As crazy as that is. Unfortunately now, because of this, God had to take Elijah off the battlefield. Because Elijah was afraid of Jezebel, and instead of waiting for God's next instruction, he fled for his life a long way and end up in the desert under a little tree. Because of Elijah's discouragement, God had to take him off the battlefield. There and then, God said to Elijah, there and then, I mean, same chapter, same chapter, a few verses down, verse 15. God says to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king of Assyria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king of Israel. And watch this now. And you shall anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Abel Mahola. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. You shall anoint Elisha as the new prophet in your place. 
Because of Elijah's discouragement, God had to replace him with Elisha. Elijah was so discouraged, God had replaced him with Elijah. Now, Elijah walked from Mount Carmel, way up north, to the mountains of Horeb, according to the scripture we read, which actually is another word for the mountains of Sana. And the distance he walked is 600 kilometers. 600 kilometers. I have a map on the screen now for your, to help you understand what happened. You'll see way up north, you see the, the wording promised land. Up near the word land, you'll see on the left of that, against the coastline, you'll see Mount Carmel in small letters, small words, small letters. Then you'll see a green line come down to Damascus. That's where he went first. Then from there, he went all the way down south to Mount Sinai which is right down here by the Red Sea, if you're looking on your screen, down by the Red Sea. Then he went to find Elisha. So from Mount Sinai, he went way up north to Jericho. That's a long way, isn't it? And then when he found Elisha, they crossed the Jordan River, and a chariot came picked up Elijah and took him to heaven. So God restored him, took him to heaven, and Elijah's ministry is not over. He's going to come back with Enoch during the tribulation period, and he is going to be one of the two prophets they are going to freak out. He will. They will freak out the Antichrist for some time until they die and rise from the dead. In his presence. That's a whole new subject. I don't have time to get into that right now. A very interesting story about Elijah. Very interesting character, person. He hasn't died yet. He's still alive in his physical body, along with Enoch. The only two that have never died from the Old Testament. So when somebody begins to operate out of fear and discouragement, it's unlikely that they can be productive in the kingdom of God. If someone's operating in discouragement, it's unlikely they can be productive in society or even in their family. Why? Because they will be prone to making wrong decisions, just like we saw with Elijah. It is my job as a shepherd of the sheep to try and keep the sheep encouraged and full of faith. Because keeping the sheep full of faith will keep the sheep stable. They will not panic and run like Elijah. The Apostle Paul is a great example of one was able to deal with discouragement. 
And he had far more discouragement than you and I will ever have. 1 Corinthians 11.22 tells us what happened. Paul says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In laborers, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. That means he was beaten with a cat nine tails. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. So five times he was given 39 stripes with a cat nine tails. That's leather with bone chips and metal chips on the end of each thong. And there were multiple thongs. Every time he got hit, one lash, multiple thongs hit him. Takes all the flesh off your back. Five times he had that. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. He was shipwrecked and left floating out in the sea on his own for 24 hours. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting, often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. He says, besides all of that and many other things, the thing that I'm most concerned about is the well-being of all the people and all the churches that I've started around the world. Then he says, who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. He says, which of the Christians in these churches I'm not going through a challenge that doesn't affect me. This was a continuous experience in the life of the Apostle Paul. In spite of all of that, he wrote much more than half of the New Testament. And he did that while he was in prison. Most of his writings were done in prison. And you would never suspected because in spite of all that he was always encouraging us when you read his letters he's not having a pity party even though he's writing in jail he's encouraging us all his letters are very very encouraging for all of us for example read this from Paul Ephesians 6:10 Finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This is telling us how to be encouraged. For a man has had more dis, or discouragement than most people I've ever heard of. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So Paul is saying we are wrestling against different ranks of demon spirits. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And surely Paul did all to stand. He says, Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He says, Walk in truth. Understand that you're righteous in the eyes of God and be always willing to share your faith. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Here Paul says, faith will stop every arrow of doubt, of fear, of discouragement, that Satan shoots at you. Faith. Meditating in the Word of God, speaking the Word of God, will defeat every attack of discouragement. That's what Paul says. And take the helmet of salvation, know that you are saved, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God, when you quote it, it's like a sword and it slices the demons to pieces. So use it against the devil. And then he says, praying always, have a lifestyle of prayer, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. Pray in your heavenly prayer language. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication with all the saints. He says, Pray with perseverance. Don't give up praying. Supplication means deep, heartfelt, genuine prayer. And pray for all the saints. Praise God. And then Paul writes to his son in the faith, his name Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, and he says, Timothy, preach the word of God. Be persistent, whether time is favorable or not, whether things are easy or hard. Preach the word of God, Timothy. Patiently correct the sheep. Correct the people. Patiently rebuke them. Rebuke them when they need to be rebuked. Don't be afraid. Paul says to Timothy, don't be afraid to rebuke the people. And then he says, and encourage them. Encourage your people with good teaching. So he says, Timothy, correct them, rebuke them, and encourage them. Keep the people in the right place with God so that they're on fire for Jesus all the time. Another example is David, who was a hunted man, hunted like a 
man-killing animal from the age of 17 all the way through to the age of 30. Finally kneeling in the ashes of Ziglag, the town that was burnt down, as he was kneeling there, even the 600 faithful followers of David, his mighty men, were discussing stoning him to death. Without a friend in the world, David encouraged himself in the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So there's a man like Paul and a man like David who also had serious discouragement, but they encouraged themselves in the Lord by feeding on the Bible, speaking the Bible, and praying. A few days later, God turned everything around for David, and he was sitting on the throne. In just about three weeks, from the time he knelt in the ashes of Ziglag and prayed, he was sitting on the throne. Sitting on the throne, which God promised him, when he sent the prophet Samuel to anoint him with oil as a teenager at the age of 17. Yes, children of God, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to, by the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. So God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything you ask or everything you can think of by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you, that is in you. God says to us, I can do anything you want, more than you can imagine. Whatever you want, I can do for you. I can do it for you. My question is, why did God even put that in the Bible? Why did God say that if he was not willing to do that? Why would God say, I can help you if he doesn't intend helping us? God's not schizophrenic. Let's trust God to do whatever it is needed that we need done. Let's dare to trust him. God is on your side and he will and he is able to do it for you. Let's never give up. You have a covenant with Jesus, sealed with his own blood. He's on your side. He will never violate the blood he shed to ignore your confession of faith. God is with you. God bless you. We love you. We're proud of you. Can't wait to see you as soon as possible. So from Pastor Bev and I, we are praying for you continually. Don't forget that. All right, let's bow our heads and let's to the altar call. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, how many of you listening to this message today would say, Apostle Theo, I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven or not. I hope to go, but I just don't know in my heart if I am going. That's you. Say this prayer with me today. And God will put the assurance in your heart. Say, Dear God in heaven, 
Say it again. Dear God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. He was punished for my sins, so I can be forgiven. I ask you therefore, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins and come into my heart and save my life. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, I am forgiven. I declare Jesus is the Lord of my life. Say that again. I declare Jesus is the Lord of my life. Praise God, I am saved. I'm bound for heaven. And I will see you there. Congratulations. God bless you. And we love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. 